0: But this morning in our Enough series in the season of Lent, as we've been talking about these kind of coy phrases that help us to address a much deeper question. When is enough enough? Am I old enough to know better? And we get into deeper questions like, do I have enough to go around? Or how can I possibly thank God enough for the gift of the cross? We find ourselves right here in the middle of Lent dealing with a deep and powerful question am I enough? And you'll hear by the end of our time together that that's going to be the struggle not only of the Father in the story of the Gospel of Mark today, but indeed I think all of us in our faith journey, and me in particular, as a part of our vulnerability today. But I want to start this morning with and in the text want to start with our Bible reading for the day and allow it to kind of shape our conversation together. And so this same story is told in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Luke puts it in a slightly different position with a different emphasis in how he wants to tell his story, but a similar pattern of events happens in both the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Mark. And so here you have in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, a story of healing where Jesus is teaching in the public square and people are coming to him longing for healing. And this question of enough comes from a desperate father. And it reads in this way. Someone from the crowd answered Jesus, teacher, rabbi, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams, and he grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered them, oh, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so the crowd brings the boy to Jesus. And when the Spirit saw Christ, immediately it threw the boy into convulsions. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? The Father said, well, since childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the open water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us And help us. Jesus said to the man, If you are able, all things can be done for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. Friends, this morning for us, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. What a fascinating intersection of need and deliverance, of hope and doubt. This story is about a father's struggle with the question of being enough and running headfirst into a Jesus that he hopes will be enough for his need, for his story, for his struggle. And it ends with one of the most powerful phrases in Christendom, in my opinion. I believe, help my unbelief. But as we work through the story of this father and his intersection with Jesus around the lens of asking the question of ourselves, are we enough, am I enough, know that this story starts with heartbreak. And the heartbreak of this story is one that so many of us know keenly. The heartbreak that can come from family from the deep relationships that exist between generations of grandparents, parents, and children, and asking the questions that we often do. Am I enough as a son? Am I enough as a daughter? Am I enough as a grandson or a nephew? And then as we grow in our own life and perhaps as our situation change, we begin as a parent to say, am I enough as a father? Have I done enough to provide? Have I taught my kids the lessons that they'll need to navigate a dangerous, dark, and at times broken world? Am I enough? And that is the heartbreak of the father in this story. The father says, I have a son who is possessed of an evil spirit, of a demon. My son has a spirit, is his explanation to Jesus. One that has lingered since his early childhood, Now, modern biblical critics and those who are working on the intersection between science and the Bible have suggested that this child may very well have some kind of epileptic seizure disorder. That there are triggers that's causing this child to not be able uh, uh, to move through the world in the way that so many of us do. But we know that the heartbreak that the father is experiencing as a spirit in his son has a couple of manifestations. One is his son does not communicate. Be it autism, life circumstance, or anything else that might intrude on a pattern of communication between parent and child. This lack of communication is a wedge in the heartbreak of the story. But beyond that, the boy is consistently in physical danger. Not only are his seizures hard on his body with the grinding of teeth and the foaming at the mouth, it will throw him into the fire. It'll throw him into the water as if to take his life. My son has a spirit and it's heartbreaking because the dad says, and I wasn't enough to help. For all these many years, I have not been enough to be able to fix it or make it right. And as a parent, there's no more painful time than not being able to make it better for your kid. When your child's hurt themselves. When they failed at something. When they've made the disappointing choice. When they've tried their best and it wasn't good enough. To feel like you as a parent have failed a child is a part of that deep heartbreak. But beyond that, not only was the father not enough, he went to the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and they weren't enough. The disciples could not cast out that spirit. The disciples failed the hopes and the needs of the Father. And it's a point in the story that allows us to say, sometimes, sometimes the world and even the church is not enough. Sometimes we are insufficient to meet the needs, the struggles, the brokenness of those who come to us. There are times in life where we as individuals simply can't come to count on the world. And that might be in the singular situation or it might be in a pattern of our own choosing. Whether it's the bottom of a bottle, addictions to pills, or broken relationships, there are times in human individuals' lives where we continue to fill ourselves with those things from the world that we hope will be enough to fix a need, avoid a broken pattern. And it's just not enough. I wasn't enough. Your followers weren't enough They couldn't help. Heartbreak runs headfirst into hope. This father goes from heartbreak and struggle into a hope that running into Jesus, the incarnate love of God himself, will be more than all of the other failures that he's experienced to this point. And so the scripture says the father finds himself standing before Jesus. And as he's standing before Jesus, he presents his case. I brought you my boy, your disciples couldn't help, and maybe you can help me. And the fascinating thing is when he brings his struggle and he tells that the disciples couldn't fix it, Jesus' first response is to rebuke the crowds who gathered to watch and his own disciples. You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much more must I put up with? He sounds like a real tired dad right here. (laughs) Raising young children, how much more do I have to put up with? I will say this about Snow Church. The volume level, much, much higher than, you know, staid, general, normal, regular church worship. Those kids can generate a lot of fun and a lot of noise. And as we discovered, a lot of snowballs. I was the target of much attack in that way. But he finds himself standing before Jesus. And Jesus says, bring me the boy. And when the boy and that spirit see Jesus, the reactions begin again, the convulsions start again. And Jesus' question is, how long has this been happening? When he stands before Jesus, he longs for Jesus to make a difference. Standing before Jesus in our life, standing in the light of Christ is an opportunity for things to be revealed. Standing before Jesus an opportunity to say, I haven't been enough, I haven't done enough, and so let me meet with you. The remedy to the heartbreak was a little bit of hope. But what we discover is that when Jesus asks the question, how long has the boy been like this? The answer is, a long, long time. This is a chronic, persistent issue. Those who live with chronic fatigue, with with health issues that doctors don't seem to be finding remedies for, for consistent patterns that are not being overcome with medication or choices or patterns in life, can find themselves in a pattern where the hope doesn't seem like enough to overcome the heartbreak because it's been such a regular pattern. This father can point to all of the times. His son has struggled, not just one moment, not just this performative moment in front of Jesus, but it's been like this for what seems like forever. And so out of the struggles of this crossroads of heartbreak and hope, this dad lifts up a challenge. He challenges Jesus. He says to him, after all of that, if you are able if you are able and you are able to do anything, have pity on us. Now, the first part of that sentence really irks Jesus. He will respond with the same. If you are able, all things are capable for the one who believes, but the question is, if you are able, have pity on us. Now, pity comes up a little short, but you hear the struggles of the man. I want you to just see me and know how hard it is. If there's anything to be done, if you are able, have pity on us. I don't need a fullness of relationship. I'm not longing to follow you. I just need a little bit of mercy. And what he invites is sympathy. But without realizing it, he's asking for something a little deeper. Y'all know I love wordplay. Sympathy, the pathos part, means feeling or emotion. Sim and sympathy means with. To have sympathy with someone is to have emotional energy with them. I'm sorry you're hurt. I'm sorry you're sick. I'm sorry your parent has passed away. That sense of I appreciate and realize that your emotional state is broken, is fragile, is hurting, and I have feelings with you. But the if you are able invitation and the challenge for the man is not just for the sympathies of Jesus. He's actually asking for the empathy of Jesus. Because the M in that part of feelings has to do with in. When you are empathetic with someone, it is a measurement of your ability to meet their brokenness. It is not a place of saying, I'm sorry you're hurting. It is, what can I do to facilitate some healing, some health? What can change about me? Where can I join you in the moment, not just on the outside looking in? The man says, if you are able, join me in the thick of this. If you are able. When it comes to the pattern of am I enough, if is a powerful emotional trigger. We use if-then sentences all the time. And so many of them rooted in the life of faith have to do with the sufficiency of God in Christ and our relationship with Him. If I was a better person, then God would love me more. If I asked for forgiveness, then God would forgive me if God loved me, then my life wouldn't be this hard. We use if as an emotional modifier for our experience of God's sufficiency when we ask the question, am I enough? If you are able is a powerful challenge to the one who comes as the literal presence of God in their midst. If you are able. And so Jesus replies, if I'm able, of course I'm able. All things are capable and can be done for one who believes and the challenge is then turned on its head because the man hears in Jesus's sentiment a question about him being enough If you are able, all things are able for the one who believes. And that becomes a triggering point for the man who's brought this son that he cares so deeply for. The challenges of his story and his failures as a father to meet the needs and remedies. If you believe is what he hears. And his response is, I believe, help my unbelief. And that pattern is such a beautiful faithfulness and reverence. It's one of my favorites. I wish life was easy enough that I could just get away with saying, I believe. But the patterns of my life and the struggles that I've seen and the darkness of our world is enough where I need a companion to that. I need a God that is big enough and God enough to be able to say and to respond and to be in with me in my feelings when I'm forced to say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I join you in a pattern of belief and conviction that your hope is the remedy to my heartbreak, but there are places where I still need to see, where I have not seen enough, where I have not been enough. The duality of faith and conviction, of confidence and doubt is a part of the pattern of the life of And so if you sit before me this morning and say, God is not big enough or God enough to handle my questions or my doubts, my suspicions or my anxieties, you have put God in a box and held God at a distance. Even Christ is compelled by a dad who says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because when I look in the mirror and I ask the question, am I enough, and I come up short, that can't be the end of the story for me. There must be more. Do not be afraid to offer God your doubts and unbelief. It's where Jesus meets the dad and where the healing happens, and it is where God will meet you in the midst of your trust and in the midst of your conviction. A brief window into the rest of this story, by the way. When Jesus asked for the boy to be brought, it says that the crowds then bring him. The way I picture it as a storyteller in my mind is that this dad is now getting so desperate in his interaction with Jesus and his offering. I believe, help my unbelief, that he's no longer kind of engaging in the whole thing. And so the crowds kind of push the boy forwards. Jesus casts out the spirit that holds the boy, and it says he appears as rigid as if he was a corpse. And the crowd and all of their voyeurism say, oh, he's dead, you've blown it. Jesus extends a hand, lifts the boy up, and sends him on his way. He's no longer going to be a part of the show. He's no longer going to be a part of the crowd's suspicions He's no longer going to be someone for whom they will bear witness. No, he is in it with the boy. He has redeemed his experience, and he sends him out. And then there's this fascinating interaction. It says that Jesus and the disciples go away for a little bit, and they begin to ask him about the experience of that day. Why didn't it work for us when we tried to cast out that spirit? And Jesus' answer is, some things only get cast out through prayer. And that's one of those statements in Scripture where I say, I believe, help my unbelief, because I don't have the entirety of the answer of what Jesus expects out of that. Because I have no doubt in my mind that Peter, James, and John, to a man, started going, well, I prayed, why didn't it work? There was something about this experience where God needed to show up for this Father and for this Son, But I'll tell you what I do with this intersection of I believe, help my unbelief, this intersection between faith and confidence and doubt and anxiety is that it lives out in the very next passage in the lives of the disciples. Because in both Matthew and in Mark, after this healing, after Jesus has explained why it didn't work for them, that some things need a specific kind of prayer, the very next passage that we get is the disciples arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Imagine that. So often we think our arguments about greatness come from a place of our own capacity, the things we do well. I know that I'm better than you in this thing, but what is truly happening here is what they are fighting about is their failure and them saying, well, at least I wasn't as bad as you were. We've been there. We know that struggle. Their argument about who's the greatest and who's the best disciple, who deserves to sit at the right hand of Jesus is rooted in their own shortcomings and not being able to accomplish the things that Jesus has asked of them. Their own answer to the struggle of, am I enough? And, in, and that, that equation of am I enough for them is rooted in a pattern of self-doubt and self-elevation. That's our theme for today, rooted in the journey of a father and in our own spiritual walk. Am I enough? That's a question I often ask of myself. Am I enough in my physical life? Have I exercised enough? Am I doing enough to stay healthy? Am I doing enough to chase off potential health risks from family history or from my own life choices? Am I doing enough? Am I eating right? Am I who I am meant to be in my own body? It is a question that I ask of my own spirit. Am I praying enough? Am I seeing the results of those prayers manifest in my story and in the lives of others? Am I being faithful? It's an intersection that happens in my personal relationships and in my story as a father and as, as a friend. Am I enough? Have I done enough? This is the question that gets at the absolute heart of the Lenten journey. Because all of the temptations of the narrative that Jesus, that drives the season of Lent, are rooted in this. His temptation, his wilderness journey is a question about being enough, and so too is Lent, a time for us to ask this question. Am I enough? And what happens when I'm not? Am I able to run into the arms of a God who is not just pitying me but is indeed empathetic with me and present in my story who acts not from a place of judgment and scorn based on my ability to complete certain tasks but will meet me with mercy and grace and strength who will lift me up from a pattern of despair and set me on a path of righteousness? How do we behave as if we might be enough? Well, we have to act as if god is on the move to put the if then equation on its head and to not say if god loved me more my life would be better but how then should i act how then should i pattern my life if i know that god is for me and meeting me in the midst of my challenges and in the midst of my struggles and then from the pattern of this father who ran headfirst into his own failures, headfirst into the failure of the church and the disciples, headfirst into the judgment of the community, there comes a time where you have to bring Christ to your challenges and your challenges to Christ. Where you say, I am not enough, but I am glad that I serve a God who is. I'm not enough. But I'm glad there's a God who loves me anyway. I haven't done enough, but there is a God who will use me anyway. And that there are times where I need to act out of a pattern of love, invitation, inclusion, and transformation, not because I have all the answers or I know how to do it best, but because it is the right thing and it is what God has called me to in that moment. Am I enough? That is a question for God to answer. And the good news is is that I can operate from the core of my being on this day and every day from a certainty that even when I am not, God is there. Even when I am insufficient, God is more. Even when I fail to love, God's transformative love, invites me into new patterns of being. Friends, we are brushing up against the season of Easter. We're just a couple of weeks away from Palm Sunday and three weeks away from Easter itself. The tomb tells the story of a God who does not require us to be sufficient or to be enough, but will offer life and life in its fullness, life and life eternal to those who are incomplete and insufficient. Because the world that God loves and therefore sends Jesus is always broken and incomplete. And when we are there ourselves, Easter comes. And so we take the chance to lean into and to live into the possibility that God will not just ask of us, are you enough for me? Have you done enough of what you are given? But a God who will meet us in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our self-doubt, if we would but say, I believe and help my unbelief. Would you join me in a moment of prayer?